0: Are your school days out of
1: sight? When you took English, art, and math, what's your favorite Fahrenheit? How sour are the grapes of wrath? Do you need a challenger for discussing Salinger? Do you love the written word? What happened to the mockingbird? Our show is just beginning, so find a place to sit. These questions will be on the test, it's time for Sophomore lit.
2: Welcome back to Sophomore Lit, where we reread your 10th grade reading list. I'm John McCoy, and with me, we have several guests. Do you want to introduce yourselves? This is
1: the Snell family. I am Jason Snell. I read The Red Badge of Courage in high school.
3: I'm Jamie Snell. I just read The Red Badge of Courage this past year, and I'm a senior.
0: And I'm Lauren Snell, and I had never read The Red Badge of Courage before, uh, reading it with Jamie, um, sort of in support of her learning.
2: <laughs> okay. So we've got this time an actual honest goodness, uh, high school student reading, uh, a, an honest goodness high school bit of literature, uh, yes. which is very exciting because, uh, on this podcast, we tend to look at this through the lens of memory. And now we have someone who's coming at it fresh. So we are discussing, uh, Stephen Crane's 1895 civil war novella, the red badge of courage. Uh, now I didn't read this either in high school. Um, I have read Stephen Crane. I read in graduate school. I read his first novel, Maggie girl of the streets, which is a very strange novel. Um, I don't know, has that, either of you read that or any of you?
1: Mm -mm. No, no. I read his poetry in high school. I actually, despite my bouncing heart off of Red Badge of Courage, I got his poetry anthology out. And I I really loved it to the point where before I left high school, I photocopied the entire book so I could take it with me. Uh, It's also extremely strange.
2: (laughs) Maggie, A Girl of the Streets, is set in New York at the turn of the century. And everybody talks like they're in Hogan's Alley. You know, the yellow kid. If you've ever read a Yellow Kid comic or, or you haven't read it, look it up, Google it, and it that's exactly how everyone talks in this book. And they all say, chi, golly whiz, and <laughs> that's the hell of it, and that sort of thing. So, um, so this was kind of a, a, a much more naturalistic book, The Red Brit Badge of Courage. Sure, sure, for sure. So it's it's Jamie, right? You 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 yes. read this, right? And now now tell us a little bit about what the class was that you read this for.
3: Um, I'm in AP Literature and Composition, and we read Beloved earlier in the semester, uh, which is Toni Morrison, and then we moved to The Red Badge of Courage. I didn't really like either of the books, but The Red Badge of Courage was just so boring to me. I just didn't find it interesting, and I didn't have any attachment to Henry or the youth because I thought he was just very stupid as a character, and he just kept on going back and forth, and I just couldn't relate to him. That's part of the reason why I didn't like it.
2: Wow. Well, this is a theory I've had on this podcast (laughs) a lot of times, which is that a lot of these books that we give high school students are not necessarily good books for high school students.
0: Yes. I so they totally read it agree. as as part of the they the class that she's in is also attached to the social science and so they read Beloved as part of the slavery unit and they read Bridge Badge of Courage as part of the Civil War unit. So they're talking about the history in one class and then the literature in the other class, which I think is part of the reason that they chose it. Um it still seems an odd choice.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: For a modern high school student.
2: Well, I've, I'm I'm a little bit bewildered by doing Beloved first.
3: Uh, and, <laughs> and... Yes, it was very confusing.
2: Uh, now, Beloved, I I, it, I I think is one of the greatest novels of the 20th century, but it's all it's a m- very different kind of book altogether. In yeah. fact, it's one of these books that I'm always shocked to hear got taught in high school because. My high school would never touch Beloved with a 10-foot pole. They, <laughs> my high school cut all the naughty bits out of Romeo and Juliet. Oh.
1: Well, whereas you and I know that uh, my high school, we read Stranger in a Strange Land, so I don't know what was going on. there.
2: <laughs> okay, so this was for a class. How, how long did you were you given to read this book?
3: Probably a month. I feel like not very long.
0: I feel like it was a lot less than that like less, you got like you had uh, two, three it, it was at a clip
2: and this it is was a shorter short, book than yeah.
0: than beloved um and a lot less this book as, as the story is not super straightforward but when you come off of beloved it is extremely more straightforward yes. <laughs> um and an easier read in a lot of ways um but I've been talking, I'm a librarian and I've been, I was talking to one of my people I work with about their book choices and, and questioning that their book choices are not in order to encourage a love of reading necessarily. They're learning perhaps other things from these book choices. But if you want to encourage somebody to love Toni Morrison, let's say, starting with Beloved is a tough choice. Um, I think it's a really dense one but this book since that's the podcast we're on <laughs> um is also a, it it I a, I I would love to talk to maybe the teacher talked about why they chose this book as their representation of of why you, uh, of a civil war piece of literature.
2: I mean this is a book uh that has a lot of significance from the standpoint of the history of American literature. Stephen Crane was famous for bringing the school of nationalism to America, which you know was before that in in France with Emile Zola or Balzac. There's this idea uh, that literature should be detached. That Jamie is pumping her fist here <laughs> when yeah. mentioning this. Yes.
3: Oh yeah we we learned a ton about it, but only at the very end when we were finishing the book, which really was unfortunate because we learned all about the impressionism that Crane uses throughout the book and how it was like probably one of the first impressionist like pieces of literature and we only heard that at the very end which was very frustrating because I feel like I would have enjoyed the book more knowing that and when I was looking back through it you could see it throughout the book there's a lot of that in there
2: Now this is an interesting question because this is something that people who study literature argue about a lot is whether or not it's important to contextualize a book for a beginning reader or whether the reader should just be able to read it by herself and what what do you feel about that as a as a young reader would you rather you were you spent a good time learning about the history of the publication of the book and what the author was on about or would you rather approach a book cold
3: huh I feel like for The Red Badge of Courage at least for me I would have liked to know that it was in the style of impressionism going into it so I could have picked up on that and appreciated it while I was reading it because I really did like I said before like I enjoyed that part of the the reading but I didn't notice it until the very end so I feel like for that example I would have liked knowing earlier or just not like shown specific examples or anything but kind of clued into what was going on and what Crane was trying to trying to do but I feel like there are a lot of things where if you're given like you're told what the author's trying to accomplish I feel like that can kind of ruin the experience for you so I feel like that doesn't work for everything but I feel like for the Red Badge of Courage at least I would have Liked to know what was going on.
1: Yeah, the context is tough with historical stuff too, because reading this as an adult, I thought, "Oh, you know what he's doing here is puncturing all of these illusions of like, oh, the brave soldiers." And the whole point in this is, or well, not the whole point, but one of the points in this is that he is not being courageous, and yet, and it, and the war is completely confusing, and it's all kind of random, and he survives it uh, with this you know with, with but he doesn't earn it and his red badge of courage his wound is is accidentally inflicted yeah. and not actually part of the war and i i was thinking as an adult reading it i thought like wow this is probably you know the anti-war literature of the 1890s um, and I can put it now as an adult in the context of stuff all the way up through like MASH and I mean you can can draw it forward but at the time I just thought that it was this interminable running around on a field Uh, and so you know it it was sometimes I think it's helpful to try and put it in a historical context and be like oh right this was important because of this it was the first thing you know one of the early things to do this Um, even though a hundred you know, and twenty years pass, and and you know, plenty has come since then. So it's harder to judge if somebody doesn't tell you this is why this is a groundbreaking thing of its day.
2: I mean, I personally am big into context because I uh, I don't think that Stephen Crane is necessarily a reader you want to read unless you're interested in the history of literature and particularly the history of these ideas. It's useful to keep in mind this book was written. 30 years after the end of the war so Mm -hmm. it's your comparison to mash is pretty good because mash came out in the 70s about a conflict that took place in the early 50s um and at that time it was trying to discuss vietnam through the lens of korea right this is after the civil war and what was happening in the country after the civil War wars there was a lot of disillusionment about the whole the whole war you know the, the, it, people had gone into that war with high ideals uh and they'd come out of it with how like 200,000 Americans killed in that war and it didn't seem to affect the political landscape that much once reconstruction got underway the, the what the north saw was sort of the south digging in its heels on segregation on the continued lack of of a vote for for uh for blacks the continued uh, exploitation of african americans for labor and there was this cynicism that ran through the country about whether or not it, anything had actually been accomplished in the civil war and uh, I think it's telling that this novel is is so impressionistic, not just in the sense of the style being this capital I impressionistic, but in the little I impressionistic, it doesn't we don't know what the battles are that are being described here. We don't know that the, the main character, Henry, is normally uh described as the youth throughout this book and, and and as you say jason everything is just a mess it's just this is sort of in the trenches people marching around nobody has any idea what's going on they're all waiting for something to happen they're all bored and then something happens and it's terrible and they're all running around and people are dying and then it just sort of ends um <laughs> And so yeah. so it is a massive mess of a book that really uh points out the fact that for uh the rank and file soldiers, they had no real idea what was happening at any moment,
1: yeah, and Henry signs up uh not not really knowing he doesn't have a good and when he talks about signing up, he doesn't really have a good reason um and everybody is running around and you know you want to be a hero but the reality of it is ridiculous and there is that scene where the the colonel or something it's not even a general I think but like a colonel or a high ranking person appears and basically sends uh, a group off to go die in this terrible thing And, and it becomes even messier than that and more complicated and he ends up Henry ends up as that flag bearer and he goes across the field and they 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 capture some people and they and they're horrible injuries and they they reach it and they finally kind of like run away and come back and there's a great moment where they say something like oh if you had just gone a little bit further and i i really enjoyed that part because the answer is basically like well then, what? Like <laughs> nothing. Like it, we could have gone further. We would have still come back, or you would have come out. Like it's all pointless. And I thought that was really, yeah, the details. It's just even when people in authority appear, it's not good, and it doesn't lead anywhere, and it's completely chaotic. And that's what the that's what this war really is. It's just a bloody, awful, um, mess of chaos.
2: To the extent that that this is, still remains a successful work today, what I'm drawn to are the the ways in which it holds contradictory views through the course of the book. There, the, we have Henry's ideal, as you mentioned before, uh, of, of, of wanting t- to be wounded in battle as, as a badge of courage. And there's the, the famous quote that, that gives the, the book its name.
3: The youth fell back in the procession
0: until the tattered soldier was not in sight. Then he started to walk on with the others. But he was amid wounds. The mob of men was bleeding. Because of the tattered soldier's question, he now felt that his shame could be viewed. He was continually casting sidelong glances to see if the men were contemplating the letters of guilt he felt burned to his brow. At times, he regarded the wounded soldiers in an envious way. He conceived persons with torn bodies to be peculiarly happy. He wished that he, too, had a wound, a red badge of courage.
2: And in that case, uh, valor on on the combat and combat on the field is held up in sort of an archaic uh lovely lovely way and then late in the book you have that horrific description of the sergeant's face being blown off and his mouth being just a sort of a mess of teeth and bone which is about as gross as this book gets um and so we have you know the pairing of the ideals of being wounded in battle with the uh, actuality of being wounded in a battle. And this was a tension that ran through the Civil War. This was the first war, famously, that was photographed. And, and so we, we have this expectation that this is a war that we know the battlefields of intimately. But what's interesting to me is it's become known in years since then that people like Matthew Brady would arrive at the battlefields days after they had fought and thought, well, this doesn't look good. He'd move a body over here. He'd move some cannonballs over here, and then he'd take his picture. And so even though it was a photographed war, it was staged even there.
1: Yeah, I was thinking about uh, Farewell to Arms a little bit while we were uh, which we talked about on a previous episode in that uh, it, you know depictions of war in the you know in in the 19th century and then the early 20th century and and you know they're, they're very different books but they do have that same sort of uh, I, I think once you see the idea that once you see war close up um, you're not as impressed by it and and it's brutal and kind of doesn't make sense and people die randomly and they're you know that that's it um, I, I'm struck by the fact that Stephen Crane was born after the Civil War ended. Like he, it, that, that's a thing that is a great piece of context that I think sometimes can be lacking is that, you know, he, I think, talked to people who were in the war, but he had no experience at all in the Civil War. He was born in 1871. So he just, uh, you know, he—he he, this is not an eyewitness account, uh, uh, not even close.
2: Jamie, you said you didn't have a lot of sympathy for the main character. Could you elaborate on that did you have it did you ever feel empathy for him at all or did he remain something of a cipher to you
3: um sort of from the beginning I just didn't really understand his motivation because he wanted to get this like red badge of courage and he wanted to go into war and be courageous and be a hero and that sort of made sense But at the same time, he didn't know what he was getting himself into. So from the very beginning, I kind of didn't think he was a very smart character. (laughs) And later, he just keeps on going back and forth. Oh, I love myself. I'm the best. And he's always kind of alienating himself from his uh, group. He thinks he's the best or he thinks he's the worst. And that kind of back and forth was really frustrating for me. So I didn't ever really connect with henry and the stuff he earned like like being the flag bearer i just at that point i didn't think he really deserved it honestly yeah
2: well um i think one of the things that that i picked up on this as i was reading through is there's an interesting tension between the desire to depict Uh, A sort of a realistic internal voice which is a the voice of a confused scared uh teenager who is in far way over his head and the naturalistic style which is to for the narrative voice and the authorial point of view to be so detached and Uh, sort of clinical and scientific about everything there is a a a weird tension between that this book when it came out was something of a sensation for the way in which it depicted raw emotion Uh, and that's what made it a very popular book Uh, but today it's seen more as this moment of naturalism which is so the antithesis of, of strong emotion, or at least from the standpoint of the narrator or the reader's point of view, observing all this, um, and I, I felt that was an interesting tension through the book
1: yeah the uh, the youth uh, that, that's the thing that always struck me even when I was in high school and I read this book is the youth right it's not he isn't named you know he is at a distance he is running as Jamie said he's running around I think literally the book says a couple of times hither and thither, hither and thither. Uh, he's <laughs> just that and I remember that that stuck in my mind that it's just this sort of the, the book the book is literally saying and then our guy ran around <laughs> like it's just it, it is at this remove despite the fact that he's feeling these emotions the narrator's kind of pushing him off and there's the the classic the line that is the line that has stuck with me for all this time which is again he thought that he wished that he was dead which is how many layers of remove could that does that one sentence have in it i mean it's just like he's thinking about wishing that he uh, yeah it's uh it's it's very peculiar um and and the stuff that has stuck with me is more those impressionist pieces of the chaos of battle than it is the um you know the character of henry and and what he what he thinks
2: the civil war is a a, a funny war in that aficionados uh, in this country there's such a there's such a cottage in, industry of reenactors and armchair historians and they can go on and on at great length about the particulars of specific battles i remember when I was in middle school, we had a lecture on Gettysburg that was delivered to us by a an amateur historian who was really interested in and he went through the three different three days of battle and talked about all the different fronts for the battle and the different characters involved and who led which charges and everything and uh, you know it, it's for for someone who's not uh steeped in that lore or who for whom the the civil war it may not hit home you know in the way that it does to people who feel like this is very important to their personal history it's very hard to keep that all sorted out and this book doesn't even try you barely know which side the the youth is fighting for there certainly no one sits around and discusses the political aims of, of, of the war. Uh, so it, 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 it kind of confounds, uh, that approach. And, and, and I, th- I think that's interesting when it comes to the civil war, especially.
1: Yeah. There's no, you know, there's no honor or glory to be found here. I mean, that's what he's searching for and he gets some, but he doesn't really earn it. And, and everybody is there, I just I, that's again that's the thing that I think I appreciated the most in the in my reread of it 30 years later is the idea that um, war is a mess and we, we sing songs about it and tell stories about all of the, or, or give lectures as an enthusiastic historian about the, you know, everybody went here and there and this was the general's plan. But the truth is, if you're a soldier in that war, you're just a cog in a gigantic machine. You are, you have a random chance of being horribly wounded or killed and you just do what you're told and you don't know what the bigger picture is. And that is, I think, really well portrayed in The Red Badge of Courage. The kid has ideas like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to become a hero. And um, there's, he has no control, really. I mean, he has control over his individual actions like he runs away (laughs) and then he gets, and then he gets hurt and then, you know, he gets lost and then he shows up again. But in the end, like he he can't say now is the time when I'm going to be a hero. He just kind of bumbles from place to place and he has no control
2: over his life. This book does end On a strangely upbeat note, with the youth having this moment of affirmation at the end, where he's running with a flag and it ends with him saying, "...with this conviction came a store of assurance. He felt quiet manhood, non-assertive but sturdy and strong blood. He knew that he would no more quail before his guides wherever they should point. He had been to touch the great death and found that, after all, it was but the great death. He was a man." and it mm. it even ends with this golden ray of sunshine coming through the clouds ahead.
0: I find that so funny because if there was another chapter about afterward, he would have an entirely different he changed his his emotions so many times in this based on circumstance or whatever that the next day he would be feeling like he had to run again or he's um running away from or to back to his his teammates um it wasn't like that ending meant a happily ever after for him I guess is my point because it's still he's still in the chaos of war it's still gonna go up and down a hundred more times and he may get out or he may not
2: yeah I agree I mean I I feel like the I feel like it's a sort of a pro forma ending which is odd given the fact that the book has um, has tried so hard to deconstruct a lot of ideas about military valor I, I like the fact that the character is so up and down and so confused i cannot imagine what it would have been like to actually fight in the civil war but i have certainly been in situations over my head and i have certainly found myself unsure about where the direction i'm going and whether or not the people who are leading me have my best interests at in heart and uh that elicits a lot of r- rapid change in in your emotional state and a lot of rationalizing of what your situation is
1: yeah his his departure uh when he runs away i think is reasonable in the sense that you know he he how if you're a teenager and you get your first glimpse of this horrendous war how is your first Reaction not to run away, <laughs> like, I seems logical to me. The funny thing is that then he has this kind of um, picaresque uh, wandering <laughs> from place to place, and <laughs> he's he becomes this accidental figure for a while where he's not, you know, he, he has all sorts of weird things that kind of happen to him accidentally after his moment of... Uh, decision, and you know, he, then he eventually ends up back with the the people who thought he was dead. But um, it's a it's a strange moment that he does he does exert that moment of uh, I got to get out of here, and then you know he gets that that portion of the book before he kind of goes back with his unit again.
0: Yeah, and back to how this gets taught, I would say that it, in this case, I think a lot of context would have helped quite a bit in terms of understanding and also enjoying the book. For Jamie, Because if you're reading it just for plot, you're going to be disappointed. There's
3: no plot.
0: (laughs) Um, But if you have some context, if you have some, you know, this is the first book that really portrayed what it was like to be in the war. And remember, this kid is only about a year older than you are. And what would you do in this situation? And here's the chaos. And here's why he wrote it this way. All of that, I think, might have earlier in her um, classes might have improved her understanding of and possibly enjoyment of this book. You think?
3: Yep.
2: In addition to the over 200,000 casualties of the war, there were something like tens of thousands. I think maybe it was like 20,000 people who just disappeared, who just went missing in action. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that it was fought on American soil So if you deserted, you just kind of threw down your weapons and you wandered off and you went somewhere. But a lot of that also had to do with the fact that people got uh, infected wounds and they died of fever and just kind of in the middle of the woods where nobody found them. In the Vietnam War, there were something like a few hundred people by the end of the war who were missing in action. It was actually one of the most... um, well-documented wars as far as that that went and and the military has been getting better at this uh not to say that if you have a family member that is missing action that is not a a heartache in in your life i just am saying it it's it's useful to remember that the civil war was just insane and 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 like half the people didn't have actual uniforms they were just out fighting in their civilian clothes with whatever they had on hand
1: yeah there's that scene that that i didn't remember at all that where he finds the the dead man out in the middle of the the woods that was uh that really struck me this time and that's just that guy you know how did he get there (laughs) did he die there you know obviously he did he did he you know did he did he crawl there? Did he walk there? Was he shot there? But then he finds just out in the middle of the woods with nobody around. There's a dead man, and uh, that that's that that was a good kind of moment of imagery for me of of this. Uh, you talk about people kind of and the chaos and people getting lost. That was one of those moments for me.
3: Yeah, the the what was it? Tattered soldier. Is that what he was he was called? Mm. Something like that. Where yeah, you could. It was described like the ants crawling all over him, his clothes all just ripped up. And, yeah, I remember talking about that in class a lot.
2: Now that seems like the sort of thing that would really get the kids engaged. <laughs> <laughs> so what, if, if you didn't like this book, what books have you liked for your uh, class?
3: <laughs> oh, um... I don't really like reading, to be quite honest. child
2: yeah, child of a writer and a librarian yeah, doesn't
3: like reading um, is the sad truth here. Yeah, I don't. I just I don't really like the books I've been forced to read. Maybe just because I've been forced to read them, that's part of it. But also, I'm just not interested in most of the subject matter, and that's part of it. I don't know. I'm around so many people who read that I feel like I don't know. I feel like it's good that I don't, <laughs> just because. That's th- th-
1: not I think, accurate.
3: I think they do enough for all no. of us.
1: Do you have other books that you've read in this class, other than other than *Beloved* and Badge of Courage*?
3: No. No. Just so those far. this year, because last year it was uh, language and composition, which was all like short stuff. We didn't read any full books.
1: Mm. We'll get ready for college. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. I will say that when I was so I'm a librarian. I like to read an awful lot. And I read possibly two books in high school, as Jason has encouraged me to reread quite a lot of them. Um, like, what do you mean you didn't like The Great Gatsby? Go read it again. <laughs> um, but I do think I had a a rebellious, like, you won't tell me what it, to read. I'm just not going to like it.
1: It is. Not, wh- that is the big question, right? I think that's one of the fundamental questions of of Sophomore Lit, the podcast, is did we you know do people like these books or do, or dislike these books because they were assigned is the act of it being assigned uh something that kind of takes the takes the enthusiasm away uh, several of the books that i've talked about uh, with you are books that I picked from a reading list, right? That they were not like. I don't think everybody read *Stranger in a Strange Land*. I don't think so. I think that was a book I chose to read from a list of ten books or something like that. And that that's different because then I had a choice. But when you're all, we were all forced to read *The Red Badge of Courage*, and we didn't like it.
3: Yeah, yeah. I think part of the reason um, I didn't like it just because I was like forced to read it. I didn't get to enjoy it we were like quizzed on it a bunch and you had to just memorize the plot even though it was barely there mm. and it was it was really difficult I didn't get to enjoy it for one second because I was just constantly trying to like keep keep up with it not actually enjoy what was going on and maybe that's part the red badge of courage's fault because it <laughs> wasn't very interesting but like for a Beloved, for example, I feel like I would have enjoyed it much more if I wasn't constantly trying to remember the little details that I would be quizzed on. And I feel like a lot of the books we read in school would be more enjoyable later in life because there's no like pressure to get it done in time or speed through it.
1: You know, I do that um, with some of my podcasts where we talk about TV shows or movies, and I end up taking notes while while I watch, and it fundamentally changes how I view the work, right? Because now I know I'm going to be talking about it and I need to take all these notes. And that's not quite the same as just kind of sitting back and and watching or reading for pleasure. And I do think that has an impact on how you, how you uh, connect with material.
2: Right. Well, I think it also comes back to sort of what the, what the pedagogical purpose of this literature is. I think that Stephen, a, a strong case can be made for reading Stephen Crane to understand the cultural mindset of the Gilded Age and its approach to literature. And he was formatively very important. The, the This novel itself may or may not be a, a very good novel to give someone a lens into the actual Civil War. If that's what your goal is, is you might prefer to... Go to a textbook that has a bunch of eyewitness accounts, for example. Um, If your your goal is to present people with literature that illustrates themes, and in this case sort of anti-war themes, um, you might want to instead do Joseph Heller or uh, Kurt Vonnegut. Uh, and 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 my question, I guess, Jamie, is, is this uh a, a, like a survey course? Are they are they trying to teach you about the history of literature? Do they spend a lot of time talking about literary techniques?
3: Uh, not really. We kind of did more of that last year, learning about like the actual techniques that authors use to persuade or whatever things like that. But this time. We didn't really get much going into it.
1: Is it American lit? Is that what the... No,
3: it's just...
1: It's just l- broad, all AP
3: Literature and Composition.
1: Hmm. That's... I think that's what it's called. Mysterious.
3: Yeah. I think it would make more sense if it was in an American lit class, but I think just with the course I'm in that we're like linking it to the social sciences and the history, I which think, is US history. Which is US history. Oh, ah, yeah. This year. Well, there you go. That's part of it. That's why we're reading so much of the
1: So right, like- so they they're, they've connected it. This is like a this is like a group uh taught uh with with social science and literature and uh documentary class all kind of wrapped together. And so they they I think they're picking and choosing based on that, which is very different than um you know, my experience and I think many American high school students where you get your English lit and your American lit um, and you just that's how it's all uh, all connected together. And um, my experience, because I t- also took American lit in, in college, is that early American literature is really rough. It's kind of <laughs> kind of hard to read.
2: It's it's it, it, uh, yeah, it, 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 until you until you get past. Hawthorne, it's pretty, it's pretty yeah. bad.
1: Yeah, well, no, I was going to mention Hawthorne. Uh, it was was really brutal. And then Red Badge of Courage, I didn't love. But then I really loved The Great Gatsby. So you turn to the 20th century and thing and, and Hemingway, and things start getting a lot better. But it's funny because there's a lot of very entertaining English novels written in the 19th century, but not American novels. It's a, it's a, <laughs> they're they're going. American literature is going for something very different in that in that period. I think you
2: do have Mark Twain.
1: Oh, that's true. Okay, and you're you do right, have Melville
2: right. and. Oh,
1: yeah. Herman Melville. Sure, yeah, sure. Her, that's her, true. Her and okay, over, yeah, sorry. Okay, you're right. You're right. I don't want to... I just... The ones that were inflicted on me were not fun. And then my <laughs> English literature that got inflicted on me from the 19th century was fun. Yeah, I wonder yeah. what my teachers were doing there. Were they saying something to me? Like, uh, you know, that's... But you're right. Mark Twain. There was some fun stuff, too. But in, in the end, isn't... I feel like so much of what gets assigned from American Lit is Hawthorne and, uh, and, and uh, Stephen Crane. And yeah. uh, is it... Uh, who who's the other one? Is it um Henry James, who is American oh, and British? Oh, yeah, yeah but, Henry but James, a, yes.
2: It's a tough one. It's a tough oh, that one. That is a that is a hard author. <laughs> yeah, I mean in the nineteenth century in America the big the big game is poetry. That's when you have yeah. Whit, Whitman and Dickinson. Um yeah. and you even have people like Longfellow if you want to read that. Um but, yeah, anyway, so now're we're, we're just like naming names, so yes, indeed. Uh, <laughs> before we we leave this book behind uh jamie i I do want to encourage you if you haven't if you haven't read up on Crane for your class, that is fun reading about Stephen Crane's life. He was uh, a, a just an amazing crazy guy, and in particular he, he had he had a uh, this wife. He was he was married briefly to this woman named Cora Howarth, uh, who who had this scandalous, crazy life. She actually uh, was uh, born in Boston, and she moved to Jacksonville, Florida, and became uh, a madam at a brothel, uh, where she eventually. Uh, met Stephen Crane after Stephen Crane had had uh, a shipwreck and nursed him back to health, and then they went off to uh, to Europe together and were living this scandalous life of parties and affairs and craziness. And uh, I, I do I do recommend looking up her life because she's a remarkable person. And of course, Stephen Crane is everyone remembers w- went missing in the Spanish. American War which is a great way to end your life if you're an author uh with a mystery like that so
0: and that was only a few years later right he was young
2: he was 28
0: yeah so he wrote red badge of courage at 24 and then he died at 28
2: red badge of courage was like the Stephen King of his time it was a, a very popular book
3: yeah, I feel like that would have been more interesting to learn about rather uh, Stephen, than Stephen reading King. The Red Badge of Courage.
2: <laughs> well, if Jason got Stranger in a Strange Land in, in, in high school, I imagine that so there's got to be a high school out there somewhere that's teaching The, the Shining. Yeah, <laughs> probably. <laughs> Do we, are we done? Do we have anything more to say about this book? Not really. I don't have
1: anything. <laughs> Hither and thither. Yeah, Hither Hither and thither. again. He thought that he wished that he was dead.
2: <laughs> well, thank you for coming on. You know, it 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 does my heart good to hear uh, a young reader responding honestly to the to the the books that they're forced to read. Um, I I I chose this podcast for myself, so I have no no one to blame. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to my co-hosts, the Snells, Jamie, Lauren, and Jason. The reading this time was by Kathy Campbell. She co-hosts the Sestra podcast on The Incomparable Network. Speaking of, Sophomore Lit is brought to you by The Incomparable Network. Find more funny, smart podcasts online at theincomparable.com. If you have a book you'd like me to do, or anything else to say about the podcast, you can write at sophomore.literature at gmail.com. You can also join the discussion on Facebook or the Incomparable Membership Slack. With any luck, I'll see you for a special Christmas episode. But whatever happens, keep up the reading. The semester starting soon, and everything will be on the final.